recorded live from the mats of Radical MMA in New York City, the Martial Culture Podcast. Your source for in-depth combat sports and martial arts insights with, with Coach, Coach Renee Dreyfus and, and Matt Peters. Peters. Ring the bell and let's get, get it on. I don't know how long to wait until after it rings. Get it on. You see uh, Tyson Fury? I did not. Right. But he uh, reclaimed the title, I heard. Deontay Wilder uh, did not come. He came a little short, I guess, right? All I saw was the gross uh, video of him licking blood off of the other guy. What? What? I, I, I haven't seen those. It was my oh. wedding anniversary, as I was just <laughs> telling you before, so I've been a little bit... That was on the uh, list of to-dos to yeah, watch boxing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ten-year wedding anniversary. Hey, well, let's go watch uh, Tyson. Well, your wife is cool. Maybe she, she would is want cool. to. No, she's cool, but, you know, there's times where you, you cannot do that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I didn't watch the fight, but he definitely. licked he licked blood were, off the other were, guy. They were clinching for a little bit, and he uh, was like licking his neck a little. I don't know which one. Okay. which. I don't know okay. their names. <laughs> I don't watch boxing. Yeah, uh, Deontay Wilder. So Deontay Wilder is the, 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 the American guy, and then and, and uh, Tyson Fury is the British guy. Tyson Fury won, right? Yeah, Tyson Fury won. So yeah. the, the Fury, Fury was licking the other guy. Oh, Google it. Spencer knows what I'm talking about. Was the other guy furious? Hmm. <laughs> so. We're back after a couple weeks off. Uh, there's been a lot of activity in the UFC and in sports in general. Yes. Uh, John Jones and still, uh, although con- highly contested. Yeah. I mean, people. let's talk about that. Let's talk about that. It was like a crazy, crazy. I've been I've been like, not only is, you know, my 10th wedding anniversary this weekend, which I'm super, super lucky. And I don't know how she puts up with me. But, but, um, but oh, yeah, it's great. Yeah, I'm going um, on too and I'm kind of calling quits. <laughs> thinking about it. <laughs> With you, not with my wife. Oh, my God. <laughs> Please don't. Don't abandon no, me. <laughs> um, but um, <laughs> preparing for fights, too. So there's yeah, a lot yeah, of things yeah, going yeah. on we at Radical. Big, this Thursday, we head up to Massachusetts, and uh, and then we're get it on. And, you know, so I've been really focused on my guys and not focused on, on so much uh, other stuff. But, um, but the John Jones uh, versus Dominic Reyes fight was a phenomenal fight. And uh, something we and we did we haven't even talked about the Conor McGregor fight too against uh, Don, Danny, uh, Donald Cerrone. Oh my god! Yeah, that was a while ago too. So, um, do you want to start with the Cerrone fight, or do you want to start with the? Just I don't even right, remember that fight. With the shoulder punches. Yeah, and he broke his orbital bone. People, oh, people, did he? yeah, yeah. So, so, so this is what happened for the people who didn't see it. I mean, probably everybody saw it except you, Matt. <laughs> I saw it. It was, just, it was like six months ago. Yeah, no, it was like it was like two, three week, two weeks yeah. ago. Anyway, okay, but anyway, so uh, people were saying. Some people said, "Oh, it's a it's it's a work," or this. It's not a work. Mm-hmm. And people also there was a controversy that there's a some ESPN commentator. I forgot. He's, this is like a sports commentator. He's kind of an idiot. But he was like, "Oh, Donald Cerrone sucks," and this and that. And Donald Cerrone does not suck. No, there's not. You cannot argue that. This is crazy, and it's so disrespectful, and just. Um, but what happens is there are certain elements of matchmaking that matchmakers do. Conor McGregor has been out for a while, and you let him get his get his hands on an opponent who is some is an opponent he can handle with a year break. And I didn't know what Conor McGregor show up. You know, you don't know if he's been training for the year. You don't know if he's not. And Conor McGregor, I'm not a fan of his in in his outside ring antics, but we cannot say you have to be objective. He's one of the best starters. In MMA, like some fighters start slow, some fighters start fast. Like, and it's not a, not a bad thing. Like, like John Jones, it lately later in his career, he's been a little bit of a slow starter, right? Um, Conor McGregor off the bat is a very, very, very aggressive starter, which is why I think sometimes he has uh, cardio issues too later in the fight. He comes at you like a freight train. He just does. Mm-hmm. He's a great starter, fantastic starter, and he is a hurricane right off the bell. I mean, like, boom, Jose Aldo. Boom killed him boom you know like he's so many times where he just set the pace do you think he hates fighting so he wants to get it over with so he can <laughs> just spend his money on stupid stuff i don't know i don't I think i want to so. get out of this cage as fast you know, as i can it's just it's just a style you know and 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 actually i i always strove to be a fast starter because i like i personally like to to put to show my opponent hey this is who you got into the cage with mm-hmm. right now um, that being said, you know, everybody's different. And uh, Cerrone is a very, very, very slow. He gets better as, as the fights go on. That's who Donald Cerrone is. He's the guy who, who's better as the fights go on. And um, so you're putting a guy who's a fast starter against a slow starter. And also Donald Cerrone has been, you know, he's been in the game a long time and he's got a lot of damage and he's, old, you know, a lot of wear and tear. So he's slow 
slower than he was slower before. So mm-hmm. he just came on, um, clipped him, and then hit him with that shoulder punch and uh, broke his broke his nose right away and then just, just took over the fight. And that happens, you know. I'll say also I, I have one loss and um, – and I fought a guy who just came at me and I made a mistake and I got hit hard and I couldn't claw back from that. And some, that doesn't say I'm a terrible fighter, but you're fighting a guy who got you and, and you just couldn't, you couldn't get your defense up. And, you know, it's, it's someone said to me after that, that loss, they said, Oh, you know, I do not agree with this. I do not agree. It's like, Oh, if he beat you that fast, it doesn't prove anything. That is bullshit. You, you got beat. You got beat. I had a fighter who won a fight in a very, very short time. And then they're like, oh, it was a short fight, so you don't really know. No, it's a short fight. It's the best victory there is. Yeah. So some people say that. But at the same time, it, it is it is one of the weapons sometimes is being a fast starter and getting getting the damage in first. And if the guy cannot claw back from that, man, you lose. And that's a, that's a great skill. That's a wonderful thing. And um, as I said, my one loss, that's what happened. I started – I was – that was the one fight where I was starting a little slow. I made a, a problem with the weight cut, so I was just I was a little lethargic. And the guy came at me, and I pawed my jab, which is not a good thing to do. Which means you you put out your jab and then you put it down instead of bringing it back to your face. And then, um, and I get hit with a hook, and that's all she wrote. <laughs> and it was just a really bad mistake. And I was I was lethargic, at starting slow, and he came at me and just wolved me. And the fight was very very short. And I, as I said, I trained one fighter at one point and he came in and he just started super, super strong. And we took out um, um, the opponent in – I think it was 14 seconds, something mm. like that. Actually, you know, it was 14 seconds including like the, the call-in. So it was the set fight was like seven seconds long, mm. you know, and uh, just came in and threw him right – his head right to the canvas and the can- head exploded. And it's funny. The, the guy – the head exploded? Stu- yeah. The back of his head exploded and started bleeding. The, 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 the person I lost to very quickly was – uh, was coaching the person that my student beat. <laughs> huh. There you go. Generational. Generational. Karmic retribution. My kid's better than your kid. Yeah, exactly. I lost you, but my kid is better. <laughs> no, but, um, but, um, so, you know, being able to start fast and set the tone right away mm-hmm. has always been more control. Uh, 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 um, uh, an advantage. It just is, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and uh, you saw that, and that's what happened. And then the, going back to the, the Dominic Reyes, um, uh, John Jones fight, same thing. Dominic, Dominic Reyes came out strong. He came out strong. And, you know, that whole card, there tremendous, tremendous controversy with judging. I mean, the entire card. There was like four fights where the- Texas? Yes, it yeah. was in Texas. And, um, you know, we're still dealing with some states where the commissions are- hiring people who are not qualified to judge MMA. They're just not qualified. So there are some egregious judging mistakes in that card. Mm. But that has nothing to do with this fight. So uh, let's talk to this fight. So That has nothing to do with this fight, you think? I mean, I mean, because each fight is, is its own little microcosm, you know? Yeah. Like, I mean, I mean uh, obviously, I, I don't know if the judges were the same either. Uh, although I think one judge was the same. Do you and, score along when you watch it? You know, I don't have the button. Like a lot of scores, they keep the button. You click a button every yeah. time. You have one in your right, one in your left. That's that's how I when, when I, one time I was a judge. I mean, uh, you know, a score scorecard judge, right? I had one right, my left, one left, and if I fought, you know, you just click because you can't like write paper. Yeah. But you go pop, 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 and it, and it tallies. You know, like cool. you, yeah. So that that was how when, when it, with the system that I, I I used when I the one time that I was uh, uh, refereeing or judging a fight, and um. But I don't do it like, oh, there's here, there's there. Mm -hmm. Because this is the thing. It's like, okay, so Reyes comes out. Absolutely came like a hurricane. John Jones was was there, but there was a massive disparity. That's the best. John Jones was there. (laughs) He was there. (laughs) He existed. He existed. But but there was a massive disparity in Mm -hmm. output and and what strikes hit. So you can – there's no way you can say Dominic Reyes lost the first round. There's no way. It was all elements of the rules, striking, whatever. Dominic Reyes won that first round. Second round, most people would say that Dominic Reyes took the second round as well. Although some people, you know, have said other, but really that's it. Fourth and fifth, all John Jones. There's no question. The question is the third round. For the fight, people didn't see it. It really turned. So halfway through the third round, you're in that what we call, you know, approaching those championship rounds. So it's usually a three-round fight, three-round fight, but now it's four and five. So it's like right at the turn of the third round, John Jones started putting it on. Mm-hmm. 
And okay, so the question is, how do you score that third round? So what did you think of? Who did you think won, won the fight? But before before I talk about my opinion. Biased or unbiased? Both, both, <laughs> both. Let's say biased. Biased, um, yeah. And why? Do you tell me what? Really, it was really hard to, to pick based on just watching the fight. You know, mm-hmm. I have my own internal struggles with the, the winner. Um, I do think John Jones won the fight. I think his takedowns were kind of like the defining factor. Exactly. That it just totally did agree. more. Totally agree. I totally agree. Yeah. Um, and then, so I, I am not biased towards John Jones or way. I think he did very poorly in this fight. And I'll talk. Oh, about yeah, that. I yeah, agree yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. And um, um, that's not to take away from from Reyes. But oh, Reyes uh, is amazing. Yeah. Okay. So the, let's talk about Reyes. Is he, he's one of the few fighters that matches John Jones in strength and ski, speed and skill, mm-hmm. and I mean in, in in attributes, right? Strength, speed, explosiveness, and in terms of skill. He's one of the few guys who is amazing fighting backwards, going backwards. So he has the reach, he's this, and he can fight going backwards. Very for the people who don't know, punching and, and striking going backwards is one of the hardest skills to master. And when you look at a, a striker that can really effectively counter strike going backwards or offensively strike going backwards, that's something else. Mm-hmm. So, but the, one of the things that that helped him because there's no question John Jones was t- chasing Reyes the whole fight. So he was chasing him the whole fight. So there's a very few times where I saw John Jones backing up. It was always Reyes backing up, Reyes backing up. And maybe Reyes got off first, but John Jones was putting the pressure on, putting the pressure. That's, that's fact, especially towards the later rounds and the third round and all in. John Jones was putting the pressure on. Now, of course, he got hit back. But, you know, let's look at the, the rules of, 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 uh, of the way the UFC works, the unified rules. Okay, so first, what are the criteria to win? Effective strikes, okay, and octagon control, mm. octagon control, and submission attempts or you know whatever, but octagon control that is a criteria. The yeah. person who demonstrates more octagon control is should be considered advantageous. That's the rules. They, Those are the rules. So Those they're are judging the rules. that based off of. Yeah. So the question is, Jones is pushing forward. Yeah. The Reyes question is, is okay. Are, what do you mean by octagon yeah. control? Do you mean just stepping forward? Hmm. That's a, that's a that's a point of contention. Is just going forward octagon control? But I'll tell you, hitting a takedown is definitely octagon control. There's no way you can say mm-hmm. when you're pushed up against events or you get a takedown that you're in control. No, you're not. <laughs> you're not in control. And now I'll let them take me down. The question is, okay. So this is the thing, and and the scoring system. Uh, says that takedowns count, but you know, th- th- there was a really interesting argument between Dominic Reyes and Joe Rogan, right? Our athlete fight, you know, and I'll quote them. And they were talking, we we're talking about exactly what we're talking about right now. So Dominic Reyes comes from a wrestling background. And so his, his concept, he's a sportsman. So he's like, hey, in wrestling, there's no difference like in judo. Let me explain judo. There's three types of throws. There's like a throw where you just kind of fall on your butt. That's a, um, the Japanese words, but let's let's divide it up into uh, a more understandable, like a quarter point. Okay, then there's a bigger throw where you fall, boom, but you don't fall completely on your back. Maybe you get hit, thrown hard, but you fall more on your side. That's a half point. And then there's the high amplitude kabonk, where the guy picks you up and slams you to the mat. Both shoulders hit the floor, boom. You know, thermonuclear blast. That's a full point. You win the match. So the throws are judged differently based on the amount of damage or the amount of amplitude, you know, the amount of of damage that would have been incurred had you been in a real life altercation, right? Yeah, it makes sense, right? In wrestling, that's not the case. Like in wrestling, you throw the guy, you throw the guy. Doesn't there's just like, hey, I, I got thrown, I got thrown. There's no criteria for like, oh, I did more damage. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I don't know the exact way freestyle and folk style uh, wrestling r- works. I know there's it's quite complicated. But there's no concept of, hey, in a real fight, this would have done more damage. That that concept does not exist in wrestling, right? So I think we can all agree there. I have to, I have to look at the deals because there are different ways that they score points. But there's also turnovers and things like that. But we can all agree that wrestling, they just see it as a sportsman here. You have to put the guy's back Two shoulders on the floor. He has to go like this, technical fall or, you know, pinfall and these things. They don't, there's no, no talking about like, oh, 
this would actually have killed you in a real fight. Mm. You know, even in my day, which is, you know, very much divorced from the old day of judo, the idea was, you know, hey, an ipon means on the street, you got your skull smashed in. So you're dead, you know? And uh, the famous, um, you know, um, Maeda, uh, 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 I mean, sorry, Kimura, you know, fought Ellie Gracie. His his coach, uh, he's like, my, my, uh, Kimura um, won the, the national championship, placed second in the national championship, but he won every single fight up until his final uh, by, by you know, really, really dominating. And then the final, he got Ipon thrown. And this is when he was like a kid, right? When he was 14. So he comes back to his instructor and the instructor punches him in the face. <laughs> and he says, so you killed eight men, but the ninth guy killed you. You're dead. Mm. And that's why he vowed never to get Epon thrown again, never to lose. And, uh, and he never was thrown again because that would mean he was dead. He said, if I get thrown, if I get thrown in Epon, if I get thrown by Epon again, I'm going to commit suicide because that means I'm dead. Right, that was the that was the mentality that a lot of judo guys grew up in way wow. back when. It's I don't think it's the exact same now, but but that's kind of like the way you, you think about it. it's like thinking about fighting. Hey, if this were a street fight, I'm dead. Mm. So Joe Rogan has a little bit more of that because he's interested in a martial art way. He's he's like, well, you know, John Jones in the third round took Dominic Reyes Dominic Reyes down, but he didn't do any damage. He didn't take him down hard. There was no big amplitude throw, and he didn't do any ground and pound there. He didn't do any submissions. He didn't do anything. So, like, what did he actually achieve? Hmm. Like, not much. And then, and then uh, Dominic Cruz, who was also calling the fight, was saying, "Yeah, but he took him down. Hey, that's part of the rules." So, there's two ways to interpret that. According to the current rules of the UFC, octagon control is a criteria for victory. So, I would say in this case, Dominic Cruz is correct by the nature of the UFC rules. However, Joe Rogan's point, where it's like, hey, well, what did he actually do? He just basically, the guy stumbled a little and then nothing happened. Well, what did he do there? Yeah, in terms of a fight, he didn't really achieve that much, but he was in control. So both arguments can be made. That being said, according to the way we score now, I think that third round should have gone to John Jones because he was in control. And I also see... This is an unwritten rule, but you know, to be the champ, you got to beat the champ. You know, like that thing, that boxing thing. Like if you're backing up the whole fight, mm. most people will not give you the round. And I think that's the reason why there were some egregious, you know, there was one guy on the scorecards who gave the first round to Reyes and every other round to John Jones. And I'm, I guarantee that guy's a boxing background mm -hmm. because it's like, oh, in a championship fight, if you're moving backwards, you should, you don't win the round because you're not. You beat the champ. You got to You got to be the be the champ. You got to beat the champ. It means you got to go after him. But that is not actually in the rules. That is not in the rules. But it's an unspoken rule of a lot of judges. Hmm. But it's not in the rules. So that's why I believe that judging was very good because there was I think it's uh, Solis or something. I forgot the guy's name, but he scored the first round for Reyes, but every other round for John Jones because John Jones was pressing forward. Hmm. But. That's stupid because <laughs> he's yeah. not doing any damage. He's <laughs> and, walking forward. Yeah, he's just win. walking forward, right? You know, like technicality. Like, yeah, I'm just walking forward, <laughs> eating your punch. Well, well, what if that? You know. So the question is, how do we define these concepts of octagon control? Yeah. And just walking forward should not. But if the guy's taking the fight to you, yeah, I mean. I think you should see it in a little bit more positive light. I wouldn't say that judge was like, you know, smoking, you know, heaps of crack and, you know, but, but that being said, there's no way you should have scored that. So I, I do believe John Jones won that fight. Uh, I do believe he won the last two rounds and I believe he won the third and he lost the first two. Okay. That's, so that's how I see that. Do uh, you want to see him fight again? Yeah. They have to rematch right away. Absolutely. Totally agree with that. And, and it was very close. And the thing was, Dominic Reyes is a very new fighter. He's, he's not been around so long. So mm -hmm. the, I think the pressure he burnt, he he blew his, his tank, you know, way early. And the you know that's your first big championship fight, and he's he's a performer, but still, the first time you have the the championship fight, that's a big deal. So he could have had it. Oh, he could have had it, right? And then it just he started fading. The other thing is the other thing is a lot of people um, give more uh, credence. And this is the pride rules. This is not the UFC rules, but this is the pride rules. And I actually like these better. The last fifth round was an ass whooping by John Jones. I mean, let's just call it like it is. I mean, he was in control. He was, Dom Reyes was done. And if that fight had gone on, um, what's his name? The Conor McGregor's coach said this. He said, if that fight had continued, you know, it would have just been 
Reyes dying, like you know, getting <laughs> tapped out, or yeah, you know, like that's a fact. If if it had like two or three more rounds, he'd be a knockout or submission. There's no question that Reyes was fucking done. So in Pride, the rules in Pride were the way you finish counts more than the way you started. Hmm. So so like if you finish really really strong, well, you're winning. You know, it's like and and again, Joe Rogan has said this many times. You know, like if you compare it to a street fight. Whatever happens in the street fight in the first minute doesn't matter. It's the last minute that matters. You know, so there has to be some relevance yeah. of of combat. Because if it did go one more round, yeah. or even one more minute, well, yeah, maybe one more minute it could have, yeah. yeah, like, but it wasn't. You know, and we're dealing with the sports element butting up heads against MMA as a stand-in for real combat skill. Now, of course, it's a stand-in. This is sport. So it's judged round by round, which it shouldn't. And and also, you know, Pride had different rounds. It was one 10-minute round, a one 15-minute round, and then one 10-minute round. So it's like there weren't even like three five-minute rounds. It was just one long 10-minute round. And that's actually – I fought under those rules a lot too. It was one 10-minute round and then break and one – I mean one 15-minute round and then break and one 10-minute round. You get like a half-hour break? I mean, No, no, no. It's just one minute break. Uh, two minute, Ten-minute round. One minute, yeah. So, yeah, that's it. And then, then that it's that, – that, I love those rules. And I think – I think we should just go back to that because – but the thing – one of the reasons it's not there is because it definitely helps strikers because they – they if they can't get up by the end of five minutes, the round ends and they can kind of stall and restart it in striking. It makes it more action-packed and interesting. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the thing, re, things they did it so they'd be more striking and um, – and it would be more fan friendly rather than like, you know, the early UFCs, which was like nonstop grappling and people like didn't understand what's happening. And it, and it really detracted from the, the taking casual fans or converting people into, into fans who didn't understand the sport, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, now that there's more striking, obviously there's, there's more, uh, enjoyment of the sport for people who do not follow MMA religiously. Uh, you know, even now, like I remember, uh, uh, there was someone was telling me they went to UFC. It was one of the, I think, Barclays Center, and they sat people and they went into the ground and there was like, you know, a hundred people yelling, get up, stop yeah. hunting me, like, <laughs> punch him in like a man, you know, like this stupid stuff, right? But, um, but the, the, the round break rule was to ensure that there would be more striking. I prefer that there's the less referee intervention, the, the best. So, you know, I think it should be just one 25 minute round. Let's, let's see what happens. But oh that God. just, that just wouldn't play. But that's what it used to be. Remember? I remember way back when Hoist Gracie versus Dan Severn, they fought for 22 minutes until, um, Hoist Gracie <laughs> choked him out with the triangle choke. That was UFC yeah. three or four, four, four. You start your own promotion, Danny. That happened. UFC is never going to no, no, never allow do. that. No, but you know, they still have that in Rio. They have the Rio heroes. I don't think, I don't know if they're still going on, but they had Rio heroes, which like, Two men enter the octagon. I'll see you in 25 minutes. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Just said, did 25 minutes. No, did lock the door. Let's go. Right. Like, there's no intervention whatsoever, you know? Like, unless obviously, you know, someone taps or someone's mm-hmm. unconscious, right? But, um, but it's like, there's no stoppage. Yeah, cool. There's no, you know, that's it. And there's then it's bare for that. Yeah, no, that's that's pure. But you know that those days will never happen because we have to understand that MMA is a spectator sport. Mm-hmm. There has to be some sport element. But old school guys like Joe Rogan, myself, who came up in the ranks when it was the old UFC, whereas you know basically the original UFCs was no time limit, just two men enter, one man leave. You know, old Thunderdome, you know, mm-hmm. Mad Max thing. And I love that. But that's not what we're doing here. So we're we're butting up against these like. Who, how do we make a linkage to this larger martial art understanding of, uh, you know, like, like the, who wins this fight? Or are we just going to, you know, okay, I, I treat every round. And, you know, there are a lot of fighters like this. You know, he did this. Tyron Woodley did this. He would treat every round like a mini fight. And he just make sure he win each round. Mm-hmm. And then if you won, if it was a title fight, if you won three, then he would just like, okay, I won three rounds. <laughs> you know, I'll just take it easy yeah. and, and not get hurt. And, and you know, Tyron Woodley was a point-scoring sportsman. But he won and he was a title holder for a long time. And that's legitimate because, hey, if you see the strategy of playing the game, mm-hmm. you, you play the game, you win it's the game. It's a little boring sometimes. Extremely boring. Yeah. Yeah, extremely boring. But – and also um, – not as relevant to combat as as I, I would like, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, I always thought that Tyron Woodley was too much of a passive fighter, and there has to be something to be said for being aggressive for street relevance, you know. Mm-hmm. But anyway, this, that's how I saw the fight. What if they put like swords in the ring? You know, you said that all, the other another podcast. I have yeah, violent yeah. tendencies. Apparently. <laughs> you know, you know, like, uh, put different weapons, and you can grab whatever weapon. Oh you want. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, cage match. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. The Chainsaw. Get a ladder and everything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're mixing WWE in here <laughs> and Gladiator and UFC all mixed together. <laughs> 
definitely got something. You know, you know, this is this is way back when, but there used to be um, they called they used to call it the martial arts Olympics. And what would happen is you'd fight. This is in Japan. You'd fight one round, um, knock down karate, which is no punch to the face, but you can punch and kick the body as hard as you want. The next round is kickboxing. Right, and so you punch, kickboxing, punch, kick. You know, basically kickboxing. <laughs> and the round after that is is as as MMA. So you had like different different. You had to, each round was like a different sport. Yeah. So you had to win. You had to win the first round, and the second round, and that was rules in the third round. So each round was a different. So sport. the opposite of mixed martial arts. Yeah, yeah. Well, the last round was segregated martial arts. Martial arts. Yeah, yeah. Right, but yeah, but each round was like a different <laughs> yeah, different yeah. Uh, sport. And it's kind of interesting, yeah, concept. The, uh, you did like those uh, back alley basement fights back in the day, right? I was I never fought a back alley, but yes, yeah, yeah. yeah I was I did some of those unsanctioned, yeah. unsanctioned basement yes. bars yeah. fights. Yeah, I was never in a bar, but I was. I did fight in a restaurant, yeah. but it was. I guess it was kind of like a bar too. You gotta have fun stories or something. Yeah, yeah, we have yeah. never heard any of those stories. Um. You, you, you yeah, go, I'm afraid you're not going to tell. Life. The statute of limitations has <laughs> expired by now. Well, I'll tell you. Change the name I'll, to protect the innocent. Yeah, uh, I'll tell you. You know, on the first. And, and we talked about it in my last podcast, our last podcast, um, was it was called the Underground uh, Fight League. And, and in, in New York, um, we were not sure what the legal status of MMA or Valetudo back then. We, we really fought in Valetudo roles. We weren't sure of the status. We weren't sure of what we're doing was legal or illegal. So first it was legal. Hmm. And then they passed this law. And it turned out that it was absolutely legal. But uh, according to a guy named Jim Jenny, who's a lawyer, and he did some due diligence, and he said, no, legally, we, as long as we don't like sell alcohol, we don't uh, give monetary gain to the fighter and all these other things, right? But still, we weren't sure. So uh, basically, it was by invitation, and you just met. And it was really a gathering of martial artists, and it was very pure. And it was wonderful because like everybody went there was very, very respectful. You never had – any kind of like Conor McGregor antics, you never had trash talking. I mean, yeah, I mean a little like, you know, male rivalry kind of stuff, but mm-hmm. like we would have with any sports game, you know, but it was complete respect at the end and incredibly hard fight. And the guy who was the matchmaker at the time um, did a very good job with safety because, you know, um, we, we, none of us wanted to go to jail. <laughs> but uh, then, and I also fought, I also fought um, in other places which were not so, um, it's not so kosher. Uh, it just it was just part of what we did in New York at that time. Mm-hmm. And in that underground, you know, it came out of that. Frankie Edgar came out of there. Uh, uh, and a few, a lot of fighters who who later became famous came out of that underground. It was just a place where New Yorkers cut their teeth before mm-hmm. they went to New Jersey and fought. Basically, there was an amateur league in New Jersey, but basically, you if you were from New York, you kind of cut your teeth on that and you went pro in New Jersey. You know, but um, but in even New Jersey, it was hard to get fights. So so a lot of people just just stayed in New York and just mm-hmm. fought in New York. And we didn't. There was no money anyway. Like what is pro? Pro meant you meant like ten dollars, made ten dollars. <laughs> so it was like we'll just fight in New York and just fight people in New York, and that was it. And that's that's was for me a way to test my skills. And you know, it was not the current rules. First of all, like I said, it was a one fifteen minute round, and then and then we'd have a break in one one ten minute round after that. Never, I never went past the first round, mm-hmm. and um. And then um, uh, we would always sit back and each each match would be kind of different, what rules that people would agree on. And in, this is true back in the day in, in, in the UFC. Even though there was everything was allowed, like hair pulling, you could pull someone's hair in the UFC for sure. So, But there was two guys. It was I believe it was Guy Metzger and one other guy. I think it was Guy Metzger. But they had long ponytails and they, in the back room, agreed not to pull each other's hair. Yeah. So, you know, like it, what would happen is the the, the referees – um, would sit and say, well, what rules do you guys want? And each each fight would be slightly different depending on the fight. For me, I said, everything's in except eye gouging and biting. That was it. Everything's in except eye headbutts, groin shots, everything. That was my rule. But then some people would disagree and say, no, I would prefer there's no groin shots. And I said, okay. And, you know, almost always those guys would still try to punch you in the groin. <laughs> or they try to bite you. You know, it's like, it's like, oh, you just said you weren't going to do that, but now you're doing it. Yeah. But I never broke the rules. Whatever they agreed to, I always stayed on that. Good boy. Yeah. In my head, I have like this picture of like a, you're going into like some seedy back alley, knocking on the door with like giving a password, taking you down two flights of stairs. There definitely was a password. Oh, there yeah. What was, was the password? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know. I didn't have to do it because oh, because I was a fighter, right? But uh, yeah, but uh, but for the people who came, you had to know. 
you had to ask for someone. I don't think it was like, you know, hey. It's like it, Eyes Wide Shut with, with less sex. <laughs> no sex. No, no sex, sex at all. No, no sex, sex at all. Okay. <laughs> there was fighting. And then I remember after the fight, a lot of times I fought in September. After the fight, I would go to the San Gennaro Festival and eat the crap. I would just eat like crazy. Oh, so it was up? Uptown. No, no. The San Gennaro Festival is downtown. I thought it was in the Bronx. It, no, the San Gennaro Festival is in Little Italy. Oh. So it's, uh, you know, right, Little Italy. I, they might have one in the Bronx too. I don't know. But the, yeah. the, the one that I'm familiar with, you know, uh, the one I'm familiar with is in Little Italy. Okay. So I, I fought in, in the, the, the Midtown area, Chelsea area, and then uh, then we went downtown. That was a lot of fun. It's now a Sabaro, I think, where you used to fight. <laughs> Starbucks upstairs. Starbucks, yeah. <laughs> you go in there and there's – I blood on that wall. No, it's uh, – <laughs> you know, it's funny, but actually um, that happened to me in Japan. So I not not a fight, but I was training at a, at a place in Japan and they tore down – and that place I trained so hard. We were just killing each other and it was this old, old place and also the place I lived too, but they tore it down and they built up this higher – I'm like, man – Somewhere in that concrete, my blood is there. <laughs> my blood is in that concrete somewhere. <laughs> it's this like nice, beautiful, like glass building now. And you know, the other day before that, it was this like you know this really old gym with tatami mats. You know, like the straw mats. You know, the old. Yeah. You know, like you know the scene in the Matrix with where he's the, the he's teaching the Neo. Dojo. Yeah, the dojo. Like it wasn't like that's more Chinese style. But the mats they have in that those those the straw mats. That's what kind of mats we train on in Japan, and uh-huh. uh, they really smell like straw especially <laughs> when your nose is being smashed into them you're like wow it's a straw smell <laughs> very interesting and then your blood bleeds into them and it goes it goes it gets absorbed into the straw for some mm-hmm. reason and then and then you can see they, the, the, the straw is just very good at somehow like absorbing and retaining moisture somehow right so no matter how much you sweat on it or whatever it, 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 nothing really happens it re- absorbs it and then it, I don't know it dissipates it but the straw is very like Antimicrobial or something. So, wow. but it has this smell um, that's unmistakable. It's this like dojo straw smell. <laughs> and you know, I remember one time I'd ran that place. I got thrown really hard, boom, and my head. And then a guy's smashing my head to the floor with his elbow, and I'm like. <laughs> my my nose is ble- bleeding into the straw, and I'm like, <laughs> and all I can think about is how the style this like you know the straw smells. I'm like, that's a little musk there. <laughs> I don't know. Is this my blood? That I'm, I don't know. <laughs> you know, it's who, weird who thing. Blood here yesterday. Yeah, right. Yeah, who bled here yesterday? It smells it was, like Steve. Yeah, exactly. Steve, <laughs> more like Tuttle. Oh. You know, <laughs> but yeah, it was a uh, it was it's a funny thing that goes through your head when you're getting your ass kicked. <laughs> wow. Why am I? That's doing the name this? of your book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's a very funny martial arts book. I don't even know if it's still in print, but it's about um, an a- Aikido training in Japan. It's called Angry White Pajamas. <laughs> and, you know, the, the, the geese that people mm-hmm. wear, and they come and screaming at each other. And uh, it's about training this place called the Yoshinkan. And I lived with some guys who train there. This is a, uh, they have this uh, a-, a program where people from around the world go to Japan and they live in Japan and they train there for a year and they train six hours a day, six days a week or five days a week and uh, for an entire year. And then you get, you know, kind of certified to like representing, open up your own academy or something. And, um, so I lived with a bunch of those guys when I was in Japan and we, you know, we had some fun, fun, fun experiences. Mm. You know, like it was a, a house of all foreigners living for martial arts in Japan. I mean, we, it was, we, it, it, the way it works in Japan is at least when I was there, like if you were, you wanted to get an apartment, you had to have a lot of money because you had to make this uh, security payment, which is like six months rent. You know, and then you had to have like a deposit, this thing called key money, which is basically like this weird bribe and deposit. So you have to have like, you know, $10,000. Mm. And transient populations like foreigners, you, you don't have $10,000 to just drop on apartments. So they'd have these like short-term rental places and they'd be pretty much filled with with uh, foreigners and stuff like that. Mm. And so this was like a martial art house. So it was a couple of Japanese guys who were students and they, they were from outside of Tokyo. They're studying at a very prestigious university in Tokyo called um, Waseda. And then it was those three guys. And then, uh, and then, um, it was us, all these martial artists, like 12 martial artists, uh, who came to Japan to train. Well, not 12, it was less of, less than 12. I forgot how many it was. And, uh, and people, one karate guy, myself, uh, and a few Aikido guys. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, it was, it was cool. It was really cool. That's fun. Yeah. It was, uh, some adventures in Japan. Yeah. I bet. Yeah. Look for the book. No, no, maybe someday. You should I, write a book. Yeah. You got a lot I, I'm, I'm writing a book, but it's more like technical. And, mm. you know, it's like this is why this works and stuff like that. Right. But, yeah, no, I mean, I, I have a lot of funny stories. A lot of funny stories. Yeah. There going to be a lot of puns in that book? Um, 
Yeah, they would have to be. Yeah. To. But you know, you know, it's a really, really funny story. This, this, when we were training at that place in Japan, it was me and another karate guy. And we, were, we, were, we set up uh, our own little dojo on the roof of the place. Oh, my God. Except we scary. forgot, yes, that you can actually fall off the roof. <laughs> yeah, I forgot. So, <laughs> Gravity. <laughs> so we're striking. We go, pop, pop, pop. And he's a karate guy. And there's a lot of movement. Because I don't know if you know, like a, tr- a lot of karate guys, they're, they're movement-based outfighters. So I'm moving, 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 moving. And then thank God I had my gi on because the guy was like, I moved backwards. The guy grabbed my gi and went, whoa. And I was about to fall off the three oh stories onto the concrete. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that would have been bad. Yeah. You got to watch where you're going. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Careful when you're training on a roof. Yeah. Let's go through some questions. If you have any, um, you want to go through some questions real quick? I would love that. Right. Let's see. We got a whole bunch of listener questions that have come over in the last couple of weeks. Let's start with how about lightsabers? If lightsabers. You, if, if I train to be the next <laughs> Jedi warrior, will that eventually translate into uh, actual sword fighting? Oh, <laughs> okay. So, okay. So, that's an, I don't even know how to answer this question. Just say no. No, no, no. You know what? You know what? Okay. So, this is actually interesting. So. Oh, the original, let's talk the original Star Wars trilogy, right? So the, the style that the Obi-Wan Kenobi in there is a two-handed sword style, the which is, right? yeah, yeah, based on the Japanese kendo, kendo styles, you know, um, like, um, uh, the styles that eventually became kendo, which is the Japanese sword fighting, you know, originally known as kenjutsu, but they're, they're, um, they're two-handed, um, saber styles, right? Mm-hmm. And so they're definitely drawing on that tradition for that. So it looked as if, I'm not a sword guy, but it looked as if there's some reality to that. That being said, then the later movies, they, they make it much more cinematic and, uh, and much, and more Western, especially the more movies that the, the the later character, you know, he has the 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 the, 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 the yeah, and the, uh, no, but the the, oh, the, the Kylo. On the, yeah, Kylo, yeah. Kylo Ren, right? He shoots on the side, so and his style is more like acrobatic Western style, yeah, yeah, and <laughs> and yeah, yeah. But he's you know he's he's they're drawing from. There's actually a really interesting exhibit at the Met recently. It was the armor of Maximilian V, and Maximilian is the emperor, you know, the one of the Holy Roman emperors in in, in Germany, and uh, he has this massive collection of armor, and they're talking about. Um, these uh, uh, contests, you know, they would have these like um, tournaments where, you know, it would be like jousting and things like that. But they also have the melee and which was like, you know, one-on-one sword fighting. Like, you know, you know, I told you there was that show um, where they uh, they do MMA, but they wear armor mm. and it's um, it's really cool. Yeah. And it's the same thing. That was historically what they did. And um, and so there's a whole video and a recreation of, of how the melee worked. And um, – Sometimes, you know, you'd have more because you're wearing heavy armor. The swords were more battering than than slicing, you know? So Kylo Ren's style, you can see is more, I mean, it's very cinematic, but it's more Western in that he's like battering people with it. So, um, and it's less, I don't say less technical, but it's more about brute force than slashing and cutting, you know? Because um, you're wearing like an inch of plate steel, you know, you're not gonna probably not gonna cut the guy's arm off, mm-hmm. but you might give him a, a a fracture, you know, a shoulder joint breaks or his, you know, his elbow fracture or something like that from the from the trauma. So, um, then it gets a larger question: Does cinema? And I had a student come in. Does cinematic training, not just swords, but the cinematic training, like Jackie Chan style training, make you trend? Does how much of that translates to real world combat? And that's a really good question. So put away swords, put away this. I would say proprioception is always a good base, meaning if you are a great acrobat, a great athlete, you can put your like like um what's what's her name? She's in the new Star Trek TV show, but she's in um she's in a lot of um a lot of action movies from Asia. She was in uh 007 um a Michelle Yeoh. Michelle Yeoh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Crouching Tiger, right? Yeah, Crouching Tiger, right, exactly, right. So she has been doing cinematic martial arts since she was a kid. I mean, mm-hmm. she's she's amazing. That girl can't fight. She cannot fight. But if you actually put her on a rig- – I mean, she cannot fight. She cannot fight. Zero. Zero. This woman, even at her prime, could not defend herself from an assault, period. You can just see it. But she's also an incredible 
athlete, like a ballerina or something like that. So if you actually put her into a real martial arts training program, she would get it much faster than a regular person. Mm-hmm. So the same thing is true. Like I have a student and his, he's, a, he's a wonderful student and he comes from, he's, a, he's trained as a, as a ballet dancer and he picks up so quickly and he's so coachable. Now ballet will not help you in a fight. You cannot ballet, you know, you plie away, plie right? Away, right. Mm-hmm. It cannot happen. But understanding your body as an instrument is very, very essential. Uh, is a very essential agreement uh, ingredient for martial arts success. So if I want to punch correctly, I have to have body control, which is a fancy way to say that is proprioception. If you don't have body control, it's very, very hard to get good at martial arts. So these people have these base training patterns. One of the best ones is acrobatics uh, and gymnastics. And people always ask me, like, what is the first martial art you're going to put your kid in? Jiu-jitsu, right? And I said, no, 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 absolutely. First of all, you know, that brings up a lot of like, you know, pressure and things like that. But I'd say the first thing I'm going to put him in is like gymnastics and and what they did with Lomachenko, who's one of the best boxers around right now. His dad for five years put him in dance, dance class, just to let him understand how to use his feet as well as he uses his hands. So Lomachenko is considered the absolute god of footwork now. But his dad gave him five years as a kid learning dance, you know, like salsa and all this. And so the question is, how much cinematic training will help you in a real fight? Pretty much not not much at all. But those base understandings of how to use your body, that is a great place to start where we can make the journey faster. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like traditional martial arts has a lot of things like katas and stuff like that, you know, performances. And again, this is the same thing. Learning kata will not help you fight. Practicing kata will not help you fight. But what it can do is teach you how to move your body a little bit better sometimes. Mm-hmm. And then when you actually learn to fight, you can pick it up faster. So is the Karate Kid bullshit? Learning to wash the car and uh, paint the fence, is that not going to That's exactly me? what I'm talking about. You yeah. know, it is bullshit, but it's not. You know, like, it's a, so so it is and it isn't. Like, learning de- detail orientation. So so this is this is a great question. That sounds like like you're you're saying – you're kind of making a funny question, but it's actually a great question. So, I did it. So the, the question is, like, you know, for people who didn't see Karate Kids, so he has Daniel-san, like, paint, you know, washing the fence and he's doing these circular motions – and then he has him, you know, paint or paint the fence where he's up and down and then wash the car. And he's doing all these motions which are unconsciously training him in blocking techniques, right? Okay. Yes, that's bullshit. That is bullshit because you have to have the timing of another human being. What, what Matt Thornton calls aliveness. If someone is not punching you and you're not re- understanding how to react to that energy and use that move, that move is loose, useless. So mm-hmm. there's always an, a dialogue between you and another human being in combat. And one of the most important things is to train the understanding of how to react to that person's energy. You know, So you come at me with a headbutt and I notice your headbutt. I have the timing. I know what the timing is between your head and my fist or your head and my elbow. So I know that timing because I've practiced it so many times before. So just practicing in the air is bullshit. You will never get good practicing in the air. But... That being said, before you do all that timing and aliveness, you have to know your body. And I get a lot of students right now who are extraordinarily uncoordinated because it's like um, a little bit of, I think, helicopter parenting. They're playing video games all the time. The parents are like, don't go outside. So kids don't play the way they used to. It's just a fact. So they're not used to using their bodies as well as they use. So, you know, I had this one guy come in. This was a couple days ago. And he's like, you know, very interested in being a fighter and all that. And it's a great guy. And... In unidirectional movement, just running straight, he can do that. But anything more complicated than that was extremely hard for him. Hmm. And there are certain parts of body that he had some control over because he did some sports, but not much. Um, but the lot, everything else was very difficult. So what I find myself doing is before we're doing combat or as we're doing combat, we're learning skills of body control. And that is extremely important for, for defense. Right, you know, like you know, like sky punches you, you slip your head out of the way, pump, pump. You know that that timing, timing in fighting is important, especially striking. So you got to put your head right there, right at that moment. Otherwise, you get hit. And if you can't do that in a millisecond, you're shit out of luck. Mm-hmm. So understanding your body is very important. And so people say, what, what, what? How do you do that? Well, 
this is going to sound like I'm a proponent for jiu-jitsu, but jiu-jitsu is this art that gets you better at that, gets you better at body control because it's like you're moving like a cat. You're spinning around all these things. So you get this little bit better of an internal gyroscope. And it, it makes you understand your body better so that when you come to the striking arts or something like that, you can actually learn them faster because you're not so uncoordinated. And striking arts are very, very unforgiving of people who have lack of coordination. So jiu-jitsu is this great art where it can develop your coordination. But that's what I say is if you're starting out as a kid, have your kid do gymnastics, have your kid do dance, and have your kid do parkour. Those are, and just play, just play. There's lots of stuff playing. Mm -hmm. And don't talk about martial arts for a while. Let him develop a whole sense of his body, using his body as an, and then I'd say I'd put my kid in just a good judo wrestling program and get him used to being thrown upside down a lot, you know, ruling around and being thrown in a combative sense. And then as that goes further on, uh, you know, we can, we can, you can work the, um, the striking, but you know, and, and of course I put submissions in there somewhere as well. But, um, and then lightsaber glasses. And then light, you know. Learn to use the force. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's a cheat code. It's a cheat code. Yeah. So that was, that. did I turn that, that question into something more? You, you grabbed the gem out of the poop. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. But I still think you get a little answer though, dude. Lightsaber. Nobody did answer. I mean, I mean but like, I, get, I feel like I would learn, I would totally, like if I can hold a sword and move it around like a lightsaber, that's still going to do better. That's better than nothing. Okay, so that's another good question. Uh -oh. Okay, there's a really good question. I get this all the time. I get this all the time. So there's some martial arts that suck. Really, 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 really suck. They're, they're training paradigms. This Or there's some martial arts that actually the martial art is good, but it's generally taught poorly or taught in what we call McDojo context, where you're not really learning how to fight. You're just kind of taught badly, right? So they answered, the question is, isn't that training better than, than nothing? And the answer is absolutely not. Nothing is better. Mm. Nothing is better because you have your own internal operating system. So bad training is not better than no training. No training is better than bad training. Mm. So what I'm saying is you have your own natural way of moving. You know, it is the Matt Peters way of moving, right? And that's, that's the way you move. Now, what I'm going to do as a martial artist is adjust that to the way a good MMA fighter move. So some of those things that you do when you move, that would be very good for this. But oh, here is where if you move like that, oh, you'll actually sprain your ankle or you'll fall because you're off balance or you're here. Oh, okay. We're used to dealing with this because you're, you're, you know, six feet two, six two, six three, four, six four. Sorry. From down here, everybody looks the same. <laughs> yeah. Six four. So you're used to doing this, but wow, when you go down here, you have to do this and the safety, it's, it's efficiency. It's this. So I have to change the way you move and teach you how to move much more efficiently. Mm -hmm. Now, so basically, I'm taking away your operating system and I'm putting a new operating system. Now, all martial arts kind Rene of do that. OS. Right, the, the, the <laughs> jiu-jitsu OS, MMA oh. OS, right, 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 right. And then, yeah, there's a little Renee in there too of my theories, right? But there's that point where the operating system is downloading. And that to download that operating system, it actually is not instantaneous. It takes a long time of constant moving your body. Mm -hmm. And people get, you know, I, people get really annoyed with this. So I had a student message me and he's like, Renee, why are we doing the same thing over and over again? And my, my quick answer is like, because you're so fucking suck at it. <laughs> you know, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. I was more polite. But I'm like, because you don't have the, that movement in your, in your unconscious memory yet. Mm -hmm. So you want to train so that you don't even have to think about these things anymore. You move this way. Yeah. So that takes time. That takes time. So, but what do you do when you start martial arts? You've been four months in and then you get assaulted. Well, actually, your your OSs are warring with each other. So you have the old way of moving mm. and the new way of moving. And sometimes that leads to like brain freeze, you know, brain short circuit. Yeah. And you actually don't know what to do. Now, good athletes or people who are committed can generally get through that, particularly if there's a good sparring element. They can kind of get through that moment, you know. But a lot of students, particularly people who are a little less coordinated, they have that moment where they just do nothing because their brains are confused. Do mm. I do this new pattern or do the old pattern? And they get confused and they don't do anything. They just freeze. And, um, and, uh, especially if they're put in situations they've never been put in before. So they just freeze and because the brain is like, do I move this way or do I move that way? I don't know. Cause I'm not trained yet. So if you're not training your training seriously, if you're being taught by someone bad or if you're being taught, um, by a bad martial art, like there's some arts that are very combatively oriented and not technical. And I'm not really a fan of them at all. And, um, and, um, 
at least the way they're they're taught, you know. Uh, anyway, whatever. But <laughs> it's another story. But but I have to erase all these bad patterns. And I'm like, don't explode, don't go barbarian, you know, don't go complete berserker. Let's stop and think and see how we can do this. And I have to retrain them. So people who come from, and I'll just say it, people who come from the Krav Maga, I'll just say it, people who come from the Krav Maga background are very hard for me to teach how to fight correctly. Because they're like, and I'm not saying Krav Maga on all everywhere is a bad martial art because I only can talk about my personal experience here in New York and, and in LA and, um, and, you know, with some Krav Maga instructors that I've met and taught. And generally speaking, and not just Krav Maga, but what we call military combatives, they base it on aggression. We have a pod, one episode where we talk about Yol Romero and, and, and combatives. But basically it's like aggression, no technique, go berserker, right? Try to survive. Okay. So basically, there's so many things wrong with this approach and you've done it so much that I can't – it's so hard for me to train you out of that approach mm-hmm. that you're starting like eight steps back. So it's like some of these people come to me. I'm like, I actually can't help you anymore. You're too huh. ruined. I had to send a student <laughs> away. He's like, you're oh, too no. – you're too – what we call is – they develop what we call a flinch response. So it's like this. <laughs> you flinch. And, and, uh, and then they just spaz out. And they've been taught to use that spazzy energy as part of their defense. But technical fighting – you can't spaz out. That's the exact opposite of what you want to do technically. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, you're such a spaz. You're such a fucking spaz. You've been spazzing out for the last five years. I can't fucking help you because you're just terrible. So I had this one guy and he also had all these injuries from, from, from the Krav Maga training. And he's super spastic. No control. No body awareness. I'm like, dude, I can't help you. You know, like, like just, I don't know, carry gun. <laughs> like, you can't fight. You're never going to learn how to fight. Just oh never. God. You know, he's, he's a little bit older, highly uncoordinated, already very seriously injured from his Krav Maga training and incredibly spastic and zero coachability because he's never actually been coached properly. Mm. So he just spazzes out. He just goes, you know, like a go, go street on you, right? I don't know. I don't know. Not a bad guy, but I was like, Dude, I, I can't help you. Yeah. You know, I, I I don't know what to do. I'm I maybe there's some teacher in the world that could, but yeah. I can't. So before you download that yeah. Krav Maga training manual off YouTube, come see Radical MMA. <laughs> no, no, you, you know, and, and look, look, look. I I have to say that I have done a vast, you know, uh, very very vast and and long term study of martial arts. But that being said, my experience is limited. So actually, there are some academies out there I would. That maybe are very good, and there's actually Krav Maga Academy in LA that's actually very good. So, um, but they they integrate a lot more mixed martial art approaches, mm-hmm. things like that. But the majority of my personal experience has been extraordinarily um, negative from what I've seen here, and uh, and not not something you'd ever want to do in an actual street fight. Mm-hmm. You just it, not you just 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 it's just terrible. The way you explained that really yeah. made sense. That like yeah. you know is is something better than nothing. It it really is. You have to reteach somebody. You have to bring them back to zero yeah. because they've done. They could have done something that's really <laughs> stupid. Yeah, yeah. yeah that absolutely. really messed up the way they move and operate. So it really makes sense. So, yeah, don't and even don't fuck it up. Yeah, no, but it's, it's funny because every martial artist who came from one single discipline has this a little bit. Mm-hmm. So, for example, wrestlers to not get pinned will roll on their belly, and the first time they go to jiu-jitsu school, they'll roll on their belly yeah. and they get choked out. <laughs> you know, and so, but because they're wrestlers, which means they have a high level of athletic ability or athletic training in real life combative context, mm. they can switch that off much more quickly. Bit. Yeah, they can adapt quickly because they're athletes, because they have proprioception, they have body control. They're like, oh, I did A, but I'm not going to do A anymore. I'm going to do B. But because they're, they're, can, their mind-body connection is very strong. And what happens when you do combative arts that are taught in that specific methodology? Mm. All you do is spastic. You don't think about what you're doing and you just go, ah! And then you can't really turn <laughs> off because you're not actually, you because you're fighting from your more limbic system orientation, mm. which is your fight or flight reflex, you know? Not the technical orientation, which, which in terms of like uh, uh, neurobiology is, is in, your, in your prefrontal cortex, your, your forward brain. Here. So when you learn technique, it's the front part of your brain. When you spaz out, it's the back part of your brain. It's like near the amygdala. Mm-hmm. So they can't, you can't actually access technique because you're in the wrong part of your brain. That's true. That is absolutely neurologically, anybody who studies brain science. Google will know. it. It's yeah, true. Yeah. Panic and then try to add two plus two. <laughs> no, I mean, so like get in a complete panic situation and go, oh, yeah. what's 11 times 13? You'll, you, like, you can't actually vision. do it. Tunnel yeah, vision. you can't, exactly. So Interesting. striking at a high level 
grappling at a high level, um, knife defense at a high level is all in the frontal brain because these are technical arts, right? Mm-hmm. Now, and there's a connection between that frontal brain and your fingers and toes. And the, 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 the more understanding you have, your frontal, frontal brain has of your body in space, the better a combat athlete you will. Better athlete, forget about combat, the better, that's what a good athlete is. Mm. And you better be a good athlete. You know, this is what I disagree about Chinese martial arts. You know, they're like, oh, you know, you don't actually have to lift weights. You don't have to do this. You just have to do this. And it, man, you, your body is a tool. Using that tool well is important for anything. And if you don't teach your student how to use that tool well, it doesn't matter what technique they're studying. It doesn't matter. So, you know, you have to understand how to use that tool well. Hmm. And um, there's some type of training methodologies that degrade your natural understanding of your body. And I believe, and I've seen it over and over again, that what the combative training that I've seen, you know, not everywhere, because there's some that are good, I'm sure. I've not seen it, but I'm sure. <laughs> now I've seen a couple here and there, but but very rare. But the combative, combatives type Krav Maga training that I've seen degrades your natural understanding of your body. And, um, and you know, you can tell me this, like, you know, 104-pound girl is going to do that. That's that, you know, like face palm punch this way when she can't even generate force. She has no idea how to generate force. She has no speed or reaction. It's like, you're smoking crack. That's mm. not going to fucking happen. And it's the disservice and it's completely irresponsible, which is why, like, um, you know, I, uh, I, I had a, a person come to my academy and he wanted to train with me. And I said, look, you're training people and charging $250 an hour and you're training them crap. You cannot train here because until you stop teaching people because what you're doing is a disservice and you're a charlatan and you're you're just taking people's money and giving them crap. Mm. So I cannot be involved with you. And uh, so like that, you know, you, 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 you know, if people are doing it for fun, you can do anything you want for fun. But if you're actually telling someone, hey, this will help save your life. That's false advertising. That won't save your life. That'll get you killed. That yeah. will get you killed. Boy. And uh, there's, there's, there's this uh, Israeli combatives instructor, and he's actually really, really good. His name's Adin Iavik. He lives in South Africa, and I'm actually a fan of what he does. And, you know, I just saw him. I thought he was Krav Maga at the beginning. And, uh, and I'm like, oh, wow, this is actually a Krav Maga guy that's really freaking good. And, uh, and, um, and then he goes, at the end of the video, he goes, yeah, this is a Krav Maga guy. suck. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I'm like, ha, yeah. No, no, but that's not true. You know, like I cannot say all martial arts. I cannot say that. that's not fair. There are a lot of martial arts doing a lot of things. I'm talking about my personal experience and what I've seen instruction, but I, I've seen a lot of poor and the same with not just Krav Maga, but RBSD, which is reality based self defense, the military line combatives that the U.S. Army used to do, all based on the Fairbane uh, combative system, which is like a 1905 kind of system. They're all based on the same thing, and they all suck. They just are not good. And the mm-hmm. methodology teaching, which developed in 1905 is not good. So let's move past that. You know, that's not a good system. So, you know, you're not, first of all, you're not developing your athletic potential mm. because you're, you're ruining that mind-body connection. And the second, the techniques are not evolved. So better, bet nothing is better than that. Yeah. Well, I'm way ahead of everybody else. I've done nothing. <laughs> uh, you got a lot of questions that were answered in that. We had one question and branched off into the 10 different things, which is yeah. great. Sorry. Uh, no, it's good. It's good. Um, we're wrapping up today, but we next week we're going to be back and we're going to celebrate the wins of G and York, who are fighting on so, Friday, yeah. January, February 29th. Yes. Uh, Saturday. 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 February 29th. And you can watch it on fight.tv, F-I-T-E dot TV, okay. and it's a $14 pay-per-view. And they're both fighting for the title. G's fighting for the 185 Pro title, and York Anderson's fighting for the 145 mm-hmm. Make your bets. Amateur title. And, Put all uh, your money on uh, G and York. Yeah, you know, York. um, but uh, I I actually, look, this sounds funny, but I hope it, they're not easy fights. I don't think they will be because the opponents are very good, mm-hmm. but I never want easy fights. That sounds weird, right? But you you make your way. This is my martial philosophy, and it's the philosophy of my guys, that you cut your teeth, you make your way as a martial artist. You go forward by being tested over and over again put in the fire. If you're not put in the fire, if you're not taken to the edge and forced to crawl your way back, then that's what's the fucking point. Mm. You know, let's let's both they hope they both get in there and they push each other to the edge. And I have nothing but respect for both the opponents. They're amazing, amazing opponents. So I'm super excited. Particularly Pat Casey's, you know, fought in Bellator many times. Amazing person, really nice guy and really great martial artist. And um 
he's gonna they're gonna push each other to the edge and you're gonna see some fireworks which is like uh we didn't talk about it, but the paul felder um uh dan hooker fight this weekend was again that pushing two martial arts pushing each other to the edge and for me when i fought underground here in new york that was our, our goal and i mm-hmm. like to see that where it's two people where they get they get something sublime something you know like it's like any high level sports where you you see some sort of uh, really positive human quality, you know, in- endurance, um, massive amount of guts and and heart and determination, and that's really martial arts. So mm-hmm. that's I think that's what's going to happen this weekend. And you we'll know? see. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Wish them wish them well and wish them luck. Mm-hmm. I know you trained them well. I hope so. We'll see how how it turns out. Fantastic. Thanks, everybody. All right. Bye.